So, Paul, uh, how are you doing? Do you have a glass jaw? <laughs> yeah, I do. Phil Barsley could definitely knock me out. I'm confident of that. I think I might have the reach on him, but everything else, he's got a serious edge. Yeah, that was the stupidest news story in the history of news stories, wasn't it? Ah, uh, I'm not sure it was the stupidest, but it it wasn't a good news story. <laughs> That's pretty stupid. Man has some fun with friend. News at 11. I mean... I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Well, you do get it because it sells papers because it was, you know, a stupid story to put on the front page of The Sun. But, like, how is it... I get that if something had happened, but they were having a bit of a lark about and Rooney carried on larking about. I'm not sure Phil Bardsley actually knocked out Wayne Rooney, you know? Yeah, but still, there you go. (laughs) The tabloids for you. What is this world? Twisted? Yes, apparently so. Yeah, although Van Hull's words, of course, are there about it. And, they, you know, he was actually very sensible, Van Hull, in kind of dismissing it as a non-story. But um, so in one sense, uh, great. In, in another sense, he, he's a man who doesn't quite get the British press yet. So he's going to have to work out uh, either how to go to full-scale war with them, like Fergie did, and try and manipulate them uh, into taking his viewpoint, or he's going to have to kind of uh, learn some of the nuances of... Uh, our darling media here. But, I, I mean, do you think he has to learn those nuances or do you think he should continue to just do what he's doing because actually playing the game with them is just going to be distracting kind of thing? Depends what he wants to achieve. Right. Right. So if he wants to achieve good press, less pressure and um, on him from the supporters via the media, then, then yeah, he plays the game a little bit. If he just doesn't care and uh, he's, his skin is thick enough, then... And fine, he can say whatever he wants. But the problem is when managers say that they don't care, they do care because when they rail against the press or start uh, having a rant in a press conference or showing pieces of paper with data about long balls on it, then uh, it shows that uh, they've uh, they've been caught up in it a little bit and lost some focus. So anyway, I, my, my advice to him, not that I work in this world uh, or have done for a very long time, would be to uh, the media world days, uh, would be to play a little bit of a game with them, be charming, and he'll get all the good copy and headlines he wants, and they'll uh, ignore the uh, ignore the stupid stories. Maybe you know. I'd have laughed it off at Stu underscore fifteen twelve with the early rank cast question says, "Aren't you a little disappointed when Wayne Rooney brackets more so than normal? I mean, would have thought he could handle a scrap better. Phil Bardsley's tough though, isn't he?" I would not like to fight Phil Bardsley. He's a brawler, Phil Bardsley. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe. I mean, uh, it's just a bit of horseplay, of course. But, uh, yeah, took one on the chin. His guard wasn't up, you see. That's the problem. His reflexes are slow. We've been saying his first touch isn't very good. Bardsley did him with a jab. Wasn't even a proper punch. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think Rooney was just mocking about. Yes. That's my theory. As evidenced by his spectacular execution on his uh, on his dive on the pitch. He really he really committed to that. That's like, you know, try that sometime. Well, don't actually. Make sure you've got a good clear run behind you because you could bump your head on something. But like to close your eyes and fall backwards, he kind of like slightly bottled out of going full Del Boy Trotter style, but but it was a, a good solid fall and and the vines have done him proud. That's right. Uh, points for style taken off for the bend at the hips. So yeah, yeah, slight mental chickening out of doing the full like tree falling in the woods routine, but not bad. <laughs> the thing is, though, I, I give him back those points because if he'd injured his back falling <laughs> backwards, that would have been a bit annoying. Indeed. So should we talk about the actual football? There was actual football, and it was actually quite good, at least for. For the first half, it calmed down a little in the second half, of course, and to be expected, I suppose. United three nil up after thirty four minutes. Yeah, I, I had a little brief word on the second half. I've seen a lot of people say, "Oh, yeah, we played well first half," but I actually think we played brilliantly in the second half because we took no risks without putting ourselves under tons and tons of pressure, um, and we were three nil up. So it's not like we let them create loads of chances as we have been known to do when we defend with our backs to the wall, but we were yeah. really, really sensible in protecting that lead. I thought that was actually a really, really effective and sensible and, and well-executed second half. Yeah, um, I suppose so, although a, a mega win would uh, certainly have uh, paid to Tottenham's chances, you'd think, you know, of making the top four. Not that, not that they're really... Well, they are competition for the top four, but that's uh, certainly put a nice cushion between United and Spurs now. It, it would... Uh, you know, we've got some very tough games coming up, of course, and uh, this was, you know, a very good first half and a pretty decent second half amid 
a whole run of games that weren't nearly as good at all. So I, I wouldn't want to extrapolate from a 3-0 win versus a very poor Tottenham side to saying we're going to beat Liverpool and City and Chelsea and Arsenal, who United all have to play. So it's it could definitely still go wrong for United, but in a very good position now, you know, just two points behind City in second place, point behind Arsenal. Um, it's still very tight for fourth place, but United put themselves in a in a very good position. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll talk about this in the preview for the Liverpool game, but the season is far from over. That's not a season-defining win, but it would have been a season-defining loss. So it's a, a huge result for United, but we're in a position where we need a few huge results on the bounce uh, to make it, it count. But, I mean, it was a superb... We talked about the reaction after the... Arsenal game and and that was one heck of a reaction as you say it was it was only one game but I do wonder how much we actually just made Spurs look bad like our game plan worked extremely effectively against their game plan and all the things that we expected them to present a threat like Mason and Bentaleb in central midfield I think both of us were concerned that United's midfield would be somewhat overrun by them but we just absolutely taught them a footballing lesson the the midfield three of Fellaini, Carrick and Herrera doing the job incredibly effectively set up in a a series of triangles as Martin Keown was at length to point out on match of the day two in England. Carrick was sat deep, Herrera on the right of him, ahead of him, Fellaini on the left of him, ahead of him, and out a little bit further out from them, Mata on Herrera's side, basically holding hands with him, they were so close for most of that, and Young on the left-hand side, and great support, particularly on the left from Daley Blint, who I was terrified when I saw Blint against Townsend, I thought that that looks like a matchup that we're going to really suffer for, but in the end... Blint didn't have to do a great deal of defending and did a lot of attacking very well indeed. Yeah, well, a, a couple of points in there. One about midfield, uh, one about Daily Blint. So midfield, yeah, United's triangle of Carrick, uh, Herrera and Flaney in particular, um, very, very good in the middle and Bentaleb and, and particularly Mason had very poor games. So Mason left his uh, runners all the time, started in the ninth minute when Fellaini of all people burst past him. And when Fellaini's looking quick, you, you know, you know, doing too well so um, Mason's had a very good season he's a young player who it's really his first season in the, the Premier League he's he's had quite a few loans before now and he's done really well in an attacking sense and I think a lot of Spurs fans would say that um, that's his strength uh, tracking runners going behind him not his strength and Fellaini in particular exploited it really well you know starting on the left of that five I suppose young outside of him Actually, if you look at the heat maps, Young and Fellaini have got a very similar pattern, much as Herrera and Mata have a very similar pattern on the right. So you can see that kind of balance there, which I have to say before the game was somewhat surprised at. But um, United managed to exploit all of that. Uh, and then on Blint, his big problem is his lack of pace. I keep saying it every week, but it's just really obvious. So when he's sat in central midfield, uh, people go past him. He's not quick enough to react to it. And left back, you'd say, put a quick winger on him and he'd be in some real trouble. But Townsend barely got the ball at all. I mean, he touched the ball 10 times, Townsend. And a lot of that was the fact that United had the ball in in very good positions in midfield. Didn't hog possession, as they have done in some games, uh, but stopped the supply to him, certainly. Yeah, I was kind of surprised when I saw the possession stats after the game. Your mind plays tricks on you a little bit when United seemed so dominant, but... Given our, our recent patterns of play, I think by the end of the game, fifty-one forty-nine by the whatever method it is that who scored to use, you know, which I, I was quite surprised about. It's opta and it's uh, it's just number of touches. So uh, there the are two ways to do it: either actual time on the ball, or just number of touches and average it out. Uh, and it actually turns out that number of touches and averaging it out is very very accurate anyway. Yeah. So it's interesting, um, all that stuff. I, I do find all the data fascinating. One of the, the key data points, I think, that really shows the difference in the two teams' performances was the number of chances created. I believe Tottenham had three registered key passes, which is a pass. That... Yeah, yeah. They created five chances, had one on target, and United 11 and, and three on target, So, which which says two things. One, in other circumstances with where the finishing wasn't so good, it was very, very good from United in terms of those three goals. 
it might have been a different result. So United have been very profligate in some games this season. Weren't quite so. At least took those three chances. But, you know, still create chances with playing five across the midfield. And 11 shots, many more positions better than that. And I'd say some of those 11 were good chances too. Yeah, I mean, so Fellaini's goal, <laughs> I did spend quite a lot of the last rank cast talking about how I'd quite like never to see Fellaini in the United shirt again. So you're welcome, everybody. Uh, but he took his chance absolutely beautifully. And it's not necessarily something you associate with Fellaini bursting through to latch onto a through ball and smack it in the opposite corner with his left foot but he uh, he executed brilliantly on that and his celebration pointed at his shirt on his back and then did the old chest badge tap Fellaini Manchester United linked inexorably for the rest of our lives uh, so yeah there were some people that are very happy about that I, I I think that this kind of performance is likely to be a bit of an aberration rather than the pattern of Fellaini's United career but who knows yeah I mean look in truth for a player who was kind of in a key position in the team he didn't actually get the ball very often so uh, and, but he's not there he's just not there to be the number 10 that that is the creator if you want that you move matter inside and you play someone else on the right wing in that game. So Van Hall at the moment does not want a number ten, who's the principal creator. And and this is this is one of the the reasons you know why um, we keep talking about it on this show because the the style of play that United has is very very different from typical Van Hall size. He's being super pragmatic. This is not about his philosophy, whatever that is. Um, it's uh, it's about pragmatically trying to pick up points right at the moment and it's all wrapped up in Fellaini in many ways I think so he didn't get the ball that much he's not the type of player who's going to run a game he doesn't change the tempo of a game he is very very one paced in terms of both you know his actual speed and his use of the ball but he creates impact and that's what he's in the team for and that that's the positive thing and you know in the fact that he's actually creating impact you can say his performances are much much better for United so an assist and a goal against Spurs and also created another fantastic chance for Rooney uh, near the end of the game didn't he which Rooney uh, kind of fluffed that's the positive bit the negative bit is it just encourages United to play long and sometimes that's very effective, that long diagonal ball out to the left uh, where Fellaini is sort of coming in field. Sometimes it's totally not effective, especially when we have a couple of guys in central defence who are not great passers of the ball. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different points in there. The first thing to say, though, is that Fellaini wasn't playing at 10 for United in this game no more, any more than Herrera was playing at 10. They were both playing as the more advanced midfielders, weren't they, on their respective flanks. It was very much a 4-3-3 rather than any kind of... I mean, or what you could call it a 4-5-1 or whatever, but it was a very specific... A 4-1-4-1 is maybe the best definition of it with a, a, a deep-lying midfielder and then four attacking midfielders across the width of the pitch. Uh, interesting note on that... Uh, Mata, who, you know, I'd have, if it's a choice between Fellaini and Mata, I'd, I wrote an article about this on, on Bleach Report and broke down all the different statistical contributions and all that kind of stuff because Mata's just light years ahead of Fellaini in terms of chances created and impact in terms of goals and assists per minute on the pitch and all that malarkey. I don't know if that's still true after Tottenham, but I'm sure it is though. But Mata was excellent playing wide right of a 4 3 3, which is a very different to the kind of Moyes position of just making him. Like right on right of a four four two because he had Herrera to work off the whole time and they were they were supported well by Valencia. I agree. He can't he can't run a game from there. I mean, there's only one player I've ever seen who could run a game from the wing as the team's principal playmaker, and that was Zidane, right? And uh, Mata's a very good player, but he's not in that class, so can't run the game from there. But he had a very good game, and he's not being asked to try and put crosses in all the time. And that's the key difference. One thing that I thought was interesting was he essentially did Angel Di Maria's job slightly better than Angel Di Maria's been doing it. You don't associate Mata with pace, but there was a couple of points where he really injected pace into the game. I mean, you do associate him with injecting pace in terms of his use of the ball, right? But he also, there was a couple of moments where he just right, skipped into action and, and took the ball on to dribble and that was really effective and we just looked very very dynamic all across the front and more praise for Rooney whose goal very fortunate in the in the way he ended up with the ball but and maybe a little fortunate with the bounce of the ball but superb absolute vintage Wayne Rooney goal totally vintage Wayne Rooney goal a vintage Wayne Rooney performance Nearly. So I thought he was actually very dynamic. And, you know, surprise, surprise, he's playing at number nine and he's uh, all, you know, loads better straight away. 
right? You know, and and some of this really makes me frustrated because aren't there so many obvious things that Van Hal is slowly, slowly, slowly getting right? You know, the switch away from three at the back took forever. Uh, I don't think we'll see it again this season now. I'd bet my house on it. Yeah, uh, I mean, God, it would make, if if you, he suddenly pulls out three five two against Liverpool, I will do my nothing. I mean, there was a moment when I saw the team sheet and I was trying to like right. puzzle it out. That could have it could have been three at the back in that game, but it wasn't. It could have been. It could have been Blint playing three at the back. Uh, I, for a moment, I was thinking that it was Young at left back. It turned out it was Blint and Young ahead of him. But uh, so you know, slowly things are being fixed. And Rooney at number nine is is definitely one of those things that has to be fixed. If he's uh, got any contribution to make to the United side, it has to be there because uh, he's a very average number eight and uh, not much better as a number ten. So let's get him in his position where he can cause some damage. And he still can. You know, he's gifted the pass uh, for his goal but he took the rest beautifully gave the keeper the eyes and tucked it in the corner you know and and he was just he was pretty dynamic he he took up lots of different positions on the pitch and it allowed the other players to play around him you know and 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 that's all great and and this formation will work for united if the other players can do that and i think it'll work for united even better if you put another player in rather than Fellaini, you know di maria or Yanazai. Because it would just allow United to play quick passing, high tempo football, and and I hope that's where we'll go in the end, and and Flaney will be phased out once this era of pragmatism is over. Yeah, I mean, I I hope so too, and I, the way he's managed Fellaini has been quite sort of loyal. Like Fellaini has been brought in and asked to do a job, and when he's done that job well. Van Gaal's kept him in the team for a bit. It happened in the middle of the season for a little while and it's happened in the last few weeks as well. So, I mean, like certainly I'd expect to see Fellaini play against Liverpool. It'll be very interesting to see if Di Maria plays against Liverpool. Uh, we'll, we'll come on to that. That Tottenham game, it could have all been so different because I just watched the first half again today, the Monday as we record this, and the first five minutes were a complete calamity. There was Phil Jones, before he did the back pass thing, he got the ball and just basically fell over and very nearly gave the ball away to the Tottenham player, but then also had to do a wild challenge to stop that happening, which could easily have either got him injured or got him sent off for injuring the Tottenham player. And then seconds later, he decides to absolutely hammer his back pass at De Gea. A rough start for Jonesy. It was, yeah. Fine save with his legs from De Gea. Isn't this another frustrating part of the season? So Phil Jones, who I've banged on about for... Yeah, quite some time has the potential to be anything he wants to be in in, in the central defender. Uh, he's got all the tools and he's just not putting it together and it feels like he's gone backwards and uh, I'm afraid too many of his performances have been very average and it's, it's very hard to defend it. Uh, it doesn't feel like he has matured at all in the last five years, right? Or four years that he's been at United and that's really frustrating because the tool set is there. But, you know, it didn't cost United in the end and actually had a pretty comfortable afternoon, that sort of calamitous pass early in the game aside. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ashley Young with another very decent serviceable performance and the ovation that Juan Mata got when he left the pitch was a beautiful sight to behold and he he shouted that out in his blog when he also referenced the paintings in gunpowder of a Chinese artist whose name escapes me for the moment. Juan Mata's blog is... I mean, you know, I make no apologies for my f- positive feelings about Juan Mata's blog. I know it's not cool to like Juan Mata's blog. If you're going to be like cool and cynical and anti-hipster or whatever, anti-hipster, then yeah, it's no good. But but it makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside when I read it. So there you go. Anti-hipster. You watch too much American TV, mate. I do. I, I have been watching the terrible American television series Burn Notice. Oh, dear. It's so bad. We, we all have our guilty pleasures. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I haven't got any that are as bad as that, though. <laughs> I guarantee it. Although, although uh, you know, we, we, like to, we like to digress on this show. I've been watching a truly awful Amazon series about pirates, which is basically very cheesy and full of lesbians. So if you like violence and lesbians and violence with lesbians... It's for you and pirates. What's it called? Uh, Black Sails. Okay. Terrible. (laughs) Right, don't watch that. But a lot of naked women. Don't watch these terrible television programmes, people. There's good ones out there. Watch some good stuff. Watch The Wire. The Wire's good, right? 
Yes, watch United versus Tottenham. <laughs> yeah. First 45 minutes. Yeah. Pretty good. It was. It was really good and exciting. And we kind of, you know, there was a real lads, it's Tottenham feel to that. Apparently Wayne Rooney held a team meeting as captain on Saturday night and delivered a rousing speech. And I like to imagine he just went, lads, it's Tottenham. But, hey, la, la, it's Tottenham. Uh, but anyway, who knows? What he actually said. Yeah, I don't know. Probably something about stealing hubcaps. Look, just because we're playing Liverpool, it's no no excuse to go full crazed scouse beta. Yeah, not really following your point there, mate. (laughs) Anyway, so look, Tottenham 3-0. It was Tottenham and United did dispatch them and it leaves the Reds in a decent position uh, coming into Liverpool, then Villa, but then it's what? City, Chelsea, uh, a couple of other no marks. I think Palace and Newcastle and then... Arsenal just before the end. West Brom, do we finish with West Brom? We've played Newcastle twice, definitely. Oh, OK. Not Newcastle then. So, so, someone else. There nine games to go. Uh, and, you know, it's still going to be really super, super tight. But I, I guess if you're a betting man, you'd say that it's going to be tough for Tottenham and Southampton now. And, and Liverpool will depend very much on the result tonight as we speak. Liverpool playing Swansea City. Yeah, and, and then it becomes about the clash between us and them. And again, it's it very similar to the Tottenham game in that it can't make our season, but it can break it. You know, it's a game that losing would be a real disaster. I think somewhat unlike the Tottenham game, a draw isn't quite such a disastrous result away at Liverpool, not just because it's a tougher fixture, but because, you know, th- that makes them drop points too, as it were. Whereas with Tottenham, a draw would have like brought Liverpool right back into it. And it does look, it is looking increasingly like it's going to be a straight fight between us and Liverpool for that third spot, unless, for fourth spot, sorry. Unless City continue to completely collapse. Well, yeah, you, you say that, but yeah, of course, you know, United only two points behind City now and just a point behind Arsenal. So, and this is Arsenal's traditional yeah, you said season. That. You said that last but, week. But, but yeah, I did say that. I know, but somehow they always qualify as well. But yeah, so. I, I think it's their traditional blow up season when point when they're having a good season or it's their traditional point to go on a run when they're having a bad season. So that's, it's one or the other. And it's. So, so which one are they having this time around? This time around, they were having a terrible season and now they're on a run and are going to comfort qualify for the Champions League that's you know that's that's clearly what's happening isn't it of course United uh, actually only eight points behind Chelsea (laughs) who are wobbling we're going to win the league again we're going to win the league again Chelsea do have a game in hand so uh, let's let's not hope too much maybe not hope it kills you uh, somebody said, like, oh, I've seen a lot of people. I can't remember who this was. Somebody said this on Twitter. That they've seen a lot of people saying, if we win every game between now and the end of the season, we're definitely going to finish at least second. It's like, yeah, if we win all 38 next season, I think we're going to win the league as well. We're probably not going to win every game between now and the end of the season, are we? I, I would say it's very unlikely. Do you want to have a bet on how many points United would get? I, I was telling it up actually you know where I think the results will come from and I, I think United will finish with about 70 to 72 points is my guess okay and in based on your calculation is that enough for us to have we I mean I guess the last time we talked about this I think was two rank casts ago and we talked about United being about 50-50 I think the stats have got United the stats that had United about 50-50 have now got United sort of pushing up towards 60% to qualify uh, after that game, where where are you putting it at the moment, percentage wise? Sounds about right to me. Sixty uh, forty. Yeah, I, I was going to look up some of the data, but I uh, haven't got it to hand. Um, but quite a few good analytics engines out there for you who search around. There are uh, quite a few people who try and work out the probabilities. And but with nine games to go, one game either way changes it completely. So I think seventy two points ish will just about get United there. Uh, given the fixtures all the other uh, teams have. And of course, you know, look, United got a six-point gap over Spurs now and a four-point gap over Liverpool. That's that's pretty significant at this stage of the season. It is. There's every chance that that isn't a four-point gap over Liverpool by the time you hear this, of course, if they've beaten Swansea, which is, a, which is not guaranteed, but the form they've been in, you'd expect them to be favourites to do that, wouldn't you? So, OK, should we take some Twitter questions before we look ahead to that Liverpool game? Let's do it. Uh, Wasim V at Wasim Velji says best Man United celebration I I think that Rooney one is like definitely is in the top 25 now of my lifetime of watching United celebrations Um, it it was it was a good solid well-executed comedy celebration of course 
the greatest celebration of a United goal that's happened since I've been alive is completely obvious because it's Eric Cantona after the chip against Sunderland. I mean, you know, just slowly, slowly look round the ground going, I'm the greatest. Turn up the collar, turn round, soaking. Yep, yep. I, I, I used to like a Sharpie Shuffle. Oh, it's wonderful. You can't beat a Sharpie Shuffle. Unless you, Eric Canton. I, I'd, I'd have Lee Sharp at number two. I mean, there's specific goal celebrations like Ollie sliding on his knees in Barcelona. Yep, and, and Giggsy going bare chest. <laughs> yeah, yes. mental after he scored against Arsenal. Of course, I mean, but they weren't set piece celebrations. They were just they were in the moment, right? And in in a way, in the moment is even better. Uh, one of the worst I've ever seen is uh, Rooney screaming and shouting at the camera. At least he didn't kiss it. <laughs> Uh, it was quite good, this screaming and shouting the camera one. I quite enjoyed that. There was a Forlands shirtless celebration that basically I think is single-handedly responsible for the booking for, for the shirt thing because he had to start the game with his shirt still not on because he couldn't get his shirt back on. That was that was pretty good. Yeah, I quite like a Brian Robson one arm raised in the air as well, like kind of a classic, simple, simple celebration. A, a classic. Yeah, Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I quite like Rooney's crucifix celebration after his crazy overhead kick as well. Uh, especially, I can't remember who it is. It might be Anderson or Nanny ruins it by coming in behind him and picking him up. Uh, kind of took the majesty out of the situation somewhat. But yeah. At Kev underscore CTS says, do you see Daily Blint as a strong option at left back in competition for sure, in the short term at least? I mean, definitely not in the long term because I, I kind of think Shaw's going to have end up having it all really yeah i hate to predict shaw's future after our conversation about phil jones uh, just a little while ago i mean he's got all the tools in the locker he's a very good defender and a very good attacker Shaw, and uh physically good even you know people make fun of his uh size of his ass but uh, he's not had a good season by any means interrupted by injury continually and form uh, so I suppose in the short term, um, the the caveats with with uh, Blint uh, are the same. Are you going to mention his pace by any chance? Ed, at his this pace, point? <laughs> yes, he's got some pace, plenty of pace, loads of pace. Did I not mention that? Which, of course, is Blint's. No, problem. sorry, I was. Uh, what I was saying was, are you not going to mention Daily Blint's lack of pace? Because you just mentioned Daily Blint. I believe you're contractually obligated to m- to mention his lack of pace at this point, just as I am contractually obligated to mention his lovely hair. Yeah, indeed, hair never want anyone again. And this is for because of course he he's unable to actually jump off the ground given his massive weight uh, but his hair is like six foot tall so that's why he's good in the air um at eddie rose 13 says which museum or gallery would you most like to take Juan Mata to that is a very very good question i'd quite like to take him to the monet museum in paris i think that'd be lovely to see a bit of impressionism i bet he'd appreciate that i wouldn't mind just going to the natural history museum and looking at some dinosaurs with him Basically, any time hanging out with Juan Mata seems like it'd be good. Yeah, well, what are my favourite museums? This might give away my, you know, cultural heritage, I suppose. I like the De Young Museum in San Francisco, a beautiful museum in a lovely part of San Francisco. What sort of museum is that for those of us who are not that cultured, Ed? Modern. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I, I like the Whitney. Uh, now currently closed in New York, but uh, opening again soon. And MoMA's not bad either. Um, and I like, uh, I, I do like Tate Modern as well in London, particularly the Four Seasons room with all the Rothkos. Shall I carry on with my cultural tour here of the world? I tell you what, the Matisse room in the Hermitage in St. Petersburg. That'd be Juan Mata would absolutely love that. True, and and if you like dark, and I'm not sure Juan Mata does. He seems like a happy chappy. You, you, you yeah. go to the Prado for for the Goya collection, but um, yeah, there you I go. I feel like I feel like Juan Mata and me would get on museum wise, and he might find your taste a bit cutting edge. I feel like he's he's a man who likes the classics. Said maybe maybe you should uh, send that in as a question for his blog. <laughs> maybe. At John Blaze says, not a question, but could you please criticise Van Gaal, Fellaini, etc. even more? The reverse is, verse curse is working. Say, we can't beat Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, United hoofed it 17% of the time on Van Gaal's instruction and uh, Fellaini's presence in the team. Only Southampton of the top seven hoofed it more than United, and that was by a fraction of a percent. And, and in fact, through the Premier League, uh, only Stoke... Uh, no surprise there, and Crystal Palace, um, and uh, who played Hull and Leicester 
uh, did more hoofing across the Premier League this weekend. So, <laughs> so there you go. Hoof and bit more hoof. The thing is, though, right? We've had this discussion before we started recording. But my take is that in the first half of that game, I was counting, I was deliberately counting. I think it would be generous to say that United actually hoofed the ball more than about three times and everything else was like a targeted long pass at a player rather than a hoof into space. I think this is semantics. United hoofed it 77 times during the game. So long but it's ball. not it's not a hoof if you pick a 25-yard pass, is it? That is not a hoof. A hoof to me semantically has a very specific connotation which is about knocking the ball into space and hoping for the best. Yeah again about semantics. Yeah exactly. exactly. I'm just saying is a bunch of long balls and United target them at Fellaini. We can keep going on about this. I mean the, the fact is that United play uh, uh, you know 14 and a bit percent long balls uh, of the, which doesn't sound a lot but actually when the when the range is between about 18% and about 9% through the Premier League, it is a lot. And it was just over 10% uh, under Moyes. So um, United playing 50% more long balls than they did last season. OK, but but how many percent more short passes are they playing than they did last season? No, no, but this is a percent, oh, you mean no, percentage no, of the percentage. player overall. Yeah, yeah. But I do think I do think that even though you're absolutely right, that's that there was a higher percentage of long balls. The sheer number of passes United are making is slightly inflating the impact of that figure. So if you're stylistically... No, it's not. Con- it's, a, it's a percentage. I mean, in terms of the total number of long balls, of course, yeah. United are playing a lot more passes than last season, loads more short passes as well. But they're playing a percentage-wise fewer short passes. Right, but, like, I mean, yes, yes, that is absolutely, in absolute terms, that is inarguable fact what you said. But, but, but uh, it's uh, not a particularly... You're flapping it's not particularly, here, Paul. You're flapping. You're it's struggling. not a particularly helpful data point, is it, to say that we're playing a percentage time in percentage terms fewer short passes when we're playing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds more short passes in total. Like you can sell this story in two very different ways, both of which using using words which are kind of mathematically accurate, but are telling a very different story. Anyway, we played a lot of long balls no, against Tottenham. I, I don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> playing a lot of long balls because it's part of the strategy, and this is not a an accident of rounding no. uh, in a piece of maths. This is a strategy to play a lot of long balls, and, and that's what United are, are doing. But it's a strategy... Successfully. It's a strategy to play a lot of long balls in amongst really a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of short passes. That's all I'm saying. Because that's true as well. Like It's equally true to say we are playing loads more short passes than we did same time last season, right? No, no, no. I'm afraid you're conflating two. two. No, I'm not. I just said it's something as true as what though, you mate. said. Yeah, of course I do. But what I'm saying is what I just said is as true as what you just said. We are playing far more short passes than we did last season, like in terms of the the total number of passes. That's as true as saying we're playing percentage-wise way more long balls, which is also true. Yes, it is, but uh, less relevant when you talk about totals. You see, and I, I think that the percentages are also less relevant given the total number of passes, because a bigger percent of a bigger number has a, a, a lesser overall impact on something. Anyway, no. It's, it's, you... welcome, welcome to MathCast. Yeah, well, it's only half a MathCast. Because you're struggling with this, you you weren't a mathematician, were you? I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm struggling okay. with this actually at all. I think I'm I'm making a slightly different point. You've gone a bit squeaky that, though, mate. Th- <laughs> that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. Yeah, just just don't listen to the argument. Just attack the style. That's classic. Well, I I am attacking the style, and it's uh, Louis Van Hal's hoof philosophy. <laughs> Louis Van Hoof's philosophy. <laughs> So what what do you account the vastly inflated the vastly increased numbers of short passes to if our style has been to switch to hoop passing ball? it sidewards so uh, grinding the opposition down playing loads of sidewards passes actually if you look at Fellaini's um passes they're sidewards short 10 yards out to the left um so yeah you know they do a lot of passing back and forth uh, but it's not that uh, and again a, a conversation we had last week it's not that kind of penetrative um, you know, two-paced system where you know, lots of passes are about shifting the opposition around. I, 
Although, funnily enough, it, it really was against And Tottenham. it worked against That's Tottenham. Still, yeah, it worked against Tottenham. There's loads more verticality, as they well, say. Well, it, it certainly was vertical when it came to the passing, which was very <laughs> vertical. It came down with snow on it. <laughs> See, as soon as I said the word vertical, I knew where you were going to go with that. Listen, I'm not saying we're not playing a lot of long balls. I'm just saying we are, we are using it as part of an overall picture. We have not turned into Wimbledon. No. That's fair enough. No, no one has said that. Just being a bit defensive about your the love of your life, which is uh, Louis Van Hoof. No, one matter is the love of my life. Louis Van Gaal's just a guy I like. At Liz Worsley says, "Have you ever been caught on camera doing anything you shouldn't have?" Hashtag Rancaster. Hashtag boxing. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. No, I live a nowadays. I live a pretty blameless life. I'm trying to think if I ever got caught on camera doing. St- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just we don't need to talk about that. There was nothing that would, you know, if I ever became a celebrity, it would attain notoriety on the internet. It was nothing like that. Just, you know. Yeah. I, so there was a while that there was a video of me on YouTube and no longer there. Uh, <laughs> drink, drinking a cocktail which was made of seven shots, which involved me drinking said cocktail, which was on fire at the time. <laughs> Uh, going, no, this is all right, and then passing out and hitting the bar quite hard, <laughs> which was extremely amusing. And, of course, this was, this was a few years back, so it was kind of before the, the instant Vine Twitter paradigm that we have now, and uh, I wouldn't have been able to delete it and it never be seen again. I've seen that video. It's brilliant. I'm so glad you reminded me of its existence. <laughs> It's the look on your face when you when it transitions from, oh, yeah, this is no problem to, at all to, I've just passed out. It's good. It's good. Um, at Dave Webb 101 says, how come Phil Neville stopped using his highlighting room as soon as you mentioned it on the rant? Firstly, because he's renting it out to Angel Di Maria. But secondly, because I think Andreas Pereira might have stolen it. Yes, yeah. Uh, Andreas Pereira, who's a very late substitute appearance, uh, he touched the ball once might well be the only time he ever plays in the United shirt out of contract at the end of the season of course. How much do you know about him because I'm not brilliantly informed on the youth teams at at United Um, I heard his name a lot for a while and then less for a bit and then it started doing the rounds again as it seemed like maybe some agent talk or something started linking in with clubs and stuff There is some agent talk, Uh, every time I've seen him uh, in well, previously the academy and and over the last couple of seasons in the 21 side uh, I kind of get the same impression of him he's he's very very good on the ball, he's uh, got lovely feet uh, wonderful technique and there's loads and loads of potential now you know the more mundane side of his game isn't as developed so he's not that great defensively uh, he's not a player who's going to work really hard in, in the center and midfield but that's kind of you know beside the bye he's, he's not going to be that kind of player when he matures he's going to be a number 10 or a creative player um, but I think there are plenty of questions marks I don't I don't think it's obvious it's not obvious to me anyway in the way that it was obvious about Paul Pogba um that Pereira will make it to the very top he might do he's got loads of talent uh, I think he might have to apply himself just a little bit more interesting It'll be interesting to see what happens in the summer with him at Nye Beveridge says and I think this is an interesting question is it fair to say that even the best teams need a Fellaini in inverted commas so to speak or are you not convinced of his worth and I think it depends what you mean by that I, I think one of my big problems with Fellaini is he's not a very good Fellaini if you know what I mean like he's 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 not he's certainly not a good destroyer in the centre of midfield definitely not and and people who said he might be our Yaya Toure have been proven dramatically wrong not that Yaya Toure is somehow only a destroyer in the centre of midfield but you know Fellaini is kind of um I don't know he's he's pretty snide and he he does a lot of physical damage with his elbows but he's he doesn't get stuck into tackles and knock players off their rhythm in that sense he's a very very useful battering ram up front that that's what he does best as far as I'm concerned and I think every good team needs a solid destroyer in the centre of midfield maybe not every team nowadays but once upon a time that was true I guess Barcelona reset the paradigm of that a bit didn't they but yeah I mean you, there is an argument for a Fellaini I just don't think he's a very good Fellaini yeah he's not that player at all so um I, I think uh it, there's just no point talking about him as some kind of destroyer he's just not very good at that he does one thing only and and that's uh put it about a bit in the final third the fact that we were so surprised that he managed to burst past a defender and 
and uh, score with his left foot kind of shows you know the fact that he just doesn't do that very often you know the truth is that you get it indirect in and about the box and he's going to cause some damage and and that's it right he's not a defensive midfielder he's not even a Busquets um, because his the quality on the ball is is you know far inferior um uh, Busquets by the way he was you know an outstanding one of the outstanding central sort of defensive midfielders of of the past generation just kind of sport by his theatrics and all-round nasty persona mm, absolutely at Anderesque says uh, what do you think of all this knee-jerking with 10 games to go I, I think to a certain extent it was very understandable that there would be a, a massive positive knee-jerk reaction to that Tottenham game because it's the first time that we've played well for such a sustained period for a really long time and we absolutely battered them off the pitch so that's very exciting when it happens I think actually most of the coverage and and fan reaction I've seen has been quite moderated it's been a kind of well we've all seen the whole season so I don't think any of us are really expecting us to be brilliant every game between now and the end of the season right 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 yeah so um, absolutely so uh, a great first half against Tottenham came off the back of an absolutely dreadful second half against Arsenal. Uh, so, yeah, it puts some context. See, see my tweet to you and Simon Stevens earlier today, even if I did get the film wrong. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. That's schoolboy, Ed. Really was. Yeah. <laughs> At Jack K. Holt says, to honour the old Trafford pigeon, what's your favourite animal? It's a pigeon that's been flying around Old Trafford. The caddy's pointing out on, on Twitter that the pigeon arrived yesterday and left, presumably thinking he was in the wrong place because there was a team playing really well there. Yeah, well, he was probably uh, just terrified that you know we're going to hoof it uh, at him. <laughs> uh, I've I got too many favourite animals to mention. Like a horse is a great animal and it's majestic, it's fast, it's awesome. Makes a tasty burger as well. It's, disgraceful and uh i mean how you can't beat dogs right man's best friend also makes a tasty burger no <laughs> you're you're a terrible person <laughs> i've never eaten dog yeah i did i did have a look for it I and mean, it wasn't actually on any menus i've been to seoul a couple of well, a few times actually uh, i've never found it i think it may be a myth yeah that's the thing it sort of sums up the difference between our approaches in life really in a way doesn't it it's like you're when when you hear favorite animal you're like what's my favorite animal to eat <laughs> no no it's not true then no, no, i like wearing them as well <laughs> okay uh you know lions are good aren't they elephants elephants they're my favorite animal can't beat an elephant can you very good <laughs> probably can't make burgers out of me <laughs> bit tough yeah talking of a bit tough we've got to go to liverpool who are in good form as far as i know they might have lost their last match because they're playing it they're half an hour in. Do you know what the score is? Nil-nil as we speak. Uh, Liverpool are in decent form, apart from that one. You know, they've they've had some uh, half-decent results uh, in recent times. They went on this wonderful run, didn't they, sort of post-Christmas, uh, which has got them back into into contention because for a long time they were very, very mid-table. Yeah, but they're, they're not anymore, are they? they they're playing pre-electrifying football and it's 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 very much come since Steven Gerrard's been unceremoniously booted out of the lineup which yeah shame shame because I, I reckon that uh, yeah Juan Mata might outdo him physically these days uh, it's, uh, the the uh, defenestration of Steven Gerrard has been quite fun although it may be anticlimactic because we might not see him too much uh, until the end of the season let's just hope he doesn't like win the FA Cup or something awful like that their results not counting cup games has gone win 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 draw win 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 draw that's a cup game so end on the win they've been in spectacular form in the league yeah well eight wins in their last 10 league games so yeah com- completely and of course beat city recently yeah although which has made it super tight uh, that that's slightly less scary given the context isn't it because when you see that you think oh they've even beaten city at home that's really a, a, a serious thing but basically everyone's beaten city this season now they're falling apart at the seams, aren't they? Yeah, indeed, indeed. I mean, so I mean, they've they found a system that works for them. Liverpool, they they switched to this three at the back, and it seems to have been very positive in a way that very few people would say it was positive for United. And they've got a ball player at the back in Emery, uh, Can or Chan or Yan, depending on 
uh, who you believe about his uh, his pronunciation of his name. But it's it's worked for them. They they're keeping the ball. They, they dominate possession uh, in a way that you kind of expect as a, of a Brendan Rodgers side, but it wasn't happening earlier in the season. And they're making chances and scoring goals. Yeah, absolutely. Coutinho's been in good form, right? This is this is what I hear. I haven't seen a lot of full Liverpool games over the last period of time. Yeah, they've got a good axis in midfield in Alan Henderson when Alan plays and Lalana kind of plays off the left and Coutinho's the the creative the creative force, you know, and Sturridge is back and that helps them be a bit more dynamic than they were without him. Yeah, absolutely. So, how do you see the pattern of play going in this one? Do you think we'll play one up front against their three centre backs? It'd be kind of an interesting match, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. And um, I mean, so the the reason why you might do that is that you try and get more of the ball in central midfield, right? But you know, Liverpool will effectively have three in there and Allen and Henderson and Coutinho. And it just kind of depends on whether that gives Coutinho the freedom to push on and pressure Michael Carrick or not. So, um, you know, the, the best way to counter three at the back, of course, is to push a couple of wide guys right onto the touchline, which, which would tell me that, that Di Maria might have a chance of playing because, of course, he can do that. Not that he's, his best performances have necessarily been as a winger, but he can certainly get into those positions. But but United did it very effectively against Tottenham in a different system, of course, but definitely used width well. It's kind of interesting because the system we use at Tottenham could really overwhelm a side playing three at the back because we basically, you between the full-back, the central attacking midfielders who were on either side and the actual wide forwards... That is a heck of an overload into a position potentially against one man, isn't it? So there's going to be an awful lot of players drawn out of position, and then the people on the other side can cut in. You know, there's you can you can see those being some extremely effective triangles, but there will be a lot of space left in behind there. And as you say, the pressure on Michael Carrick, and if. If Rojo's not fit, then if Jones is playing again, he's been so shaky, you can definitely see them getting at us too. I, I find this game very, very difficult to predict. It's That Tottenham game has really thrown the uh, the kind of expectations around this game for me. I, I kind of had a pretty set pattern of how we play and how they'd play, and I was a bit worried about it, and I am a bit less worried about it now. Do you think he'll stick with 4-3-3? Uh, yeah, I, I kind of... It's hard for him to change that. Now, I mean... It, there's an opportunity for United to, if they play the right players in those wide positions, to to really put some pressure and and to create those overloads. And, and again, it kind of depends on who Liverpool play in those wide areas. So if it's like Sterling and Moreno, then then you'd think you could get behind them because they both want to push on, and there will be opportunities, and it could create quite an open game. On the other hand, if they kind of switch it around, they push Henderson out there at times this season. If they try and keep it a bit tighter, then um, United will effectively be wasting one striker against a whole bunch of defenders and it will allow Emery Chan to push into midfield and create an extra midfielder and, and it could mean that Liverpool have a lot of the ball as a result. So a difficult one to predict and I guess um, you know the pattern might be set quite early and, and whoever is smart enough in-game will, will make the big decision that wins someone the game. Yeah, absolutely it could be. It's a, it's a, it's a game where you've got two systems that can work very well against each other potentially, so it's it's all going to be about execution, isn't it? And, and our execution has been wildly swinging from the sublime to the ridiculous and back again this season, so... I don't know, it, it, it's hard to get too giddy and, and expect us to waltz into Anfield and play brilliant football because the pressure of the occasion is going to be significantly different. And of course, there's the fact that we still haven't really put together a particularly impressive away performance. I, I guess the performance at Newcastle counts as one of our best away performances and that was a scrappy 1-0 win against a genuinely mid-table side as opposed to, you know, so it's hard to be super optimistic. But that'll be it, all right? I do not expect United to go to Anfield, take 60% of the possession and win 3-0 there's nothing in the history of um, this season that tells us that is likely you know especially away from home maybe it's the time but I'd be really really surprised so I think it'll be a pretty difficult game I wonder whether Van Gaal will be worried about um, Liverpool's ability to sort of overload in that midfield and and might want an extra defensive player in there um, playing just the two centre-backs and Michael Carrick hold, holding might be a bit tough for him so maybe he'll move Blint back into midfield depends on whether Shaw's fit or not that that might be one change he makes Yeah, absolutely um, I'm fascinated, I'm slightly terrified as, as always, I'm in the minority uh, that I really hate this fixture and what it brings out so I'll be uh, 
keeping a low profile around around this one, trying to avoid the people that I norm seeing the people I normally like turning into raving lunatics. <laughs> but hey, that's uh, the tribalism of football, and some people get a lot of uh, out of that, I guess. Including you, right, Ed? <laughs> you're a big you're a big fan of this fixture. I am a big fan of this fixture. Yeah, yeah. This is what football's all about, and uh, I will not be scouse baiting whatsoever in the lead up to it. Honest, of course not. So, what is your prediction for the score in this football match between us and Liverpool? Well, last week I predicted a one-all draw, and I was nowhere near right. So uh, this week I'm going to predict. Hmm. Let's go with the heart over the head and say a 1-0 win to United. I'm going with the head over the heart, sadly, and I think Liverpool are going to win this. I think they're going to win it 2-1. I'm sad about that, but that's what I think is going to happen. If it does happen, that's quite serious. Losing this game will be will be quite serious for the season, won't it? It has big, big implications, this game. And that, actually, I think a draw is a very decent result. I, I don't know if I've... Got my maths right there. What, what do you think, Ed? Well, of course, United ended the weekend four points ahead of Liverpool, but uh, Liverpool playing Swansea, we'll, we'll see where we are. Um, so yeah, I suppose a win for Liverpool, in theory, depending on results, could take them above United. Well, you know, uh, it would seem so. Uh, and that not a disaster with nine games to go, but not a great result either. Conversely, I think a draw for United is a great result, given uh, yeah, the lead that United has at the moment um, and Liverpool's form, that's, that would be perfect. We shouldn't worry about that. Yeah, so a massive, crucial game, clearly, and uh, a draw, very good result for United. And a win would be a spectacular result for United. We're starting to talk about feeling potentially comfortable because then even if we lose to Chelsea and City... It's gonna, was you know, might not be totally disastrous, and I'm not sure we will lose to Chelsea and City. We've got Tim Sherwood's Villa to be scared of before then. The resurgent Tim Sherwood's Aston Villa. Well, yeah, they are resurgent. They're, they're uh, you know, at least three points clear of the relegation zone. So. Um, and they, he got Poye sacked, so as a contribution to football for everyone. Very good. Yes. Racist apologist Gus Poye. Uh, Yeah, rumours going around that they were thinking about uh, appointing racist apologist Dick Avaka instead. (laughs) It's not a good look, is it? Apparently Roy Keane was at the game. Give him the job back. Give him the job back. I want Roy Keane managing in the Premier League. Um, So if you uh, want to take us to task on anything you've heard on the show this week you can get ed on twitter at united rant you can get me at utd rantcast get us both at facebook.com slash united rant where a few more people have been getting involved uh always happy to chat with people there and uh, you can read what ed has to write on united rant and read my stuff if you would like to on the bleacher reports and what be super helpful for us is if you use itunes or some sort of podcast software and if you listen to us on your phone basically uh, just subscribe on on whatever service you use it's dead easy and the Rankcast will always turn up on your phone uh, when it comes out whenever that might be especially as we're not regular yeah that's uh, we've tried but it's been impossible this season massive shout out to producer tom for all his hard work on a podcast it's always much appreciated and if you want to uh, contribute to producer tom's retirement fund you can do so at unitedrant.co.uk slash donate slash his his bender fund uh, after he went on a four-day bender before uh, editing the last uh, podcast apparently so he says very good job even so yeah absolutely um yeah so unitedrant.co.uk slash donate to keep us in the style to which we've been accustomed if we relied on that to keep us in this it wouldn't be much style but we really super appreciate everyone that's helped out with that it's very kind of you and we'll be back at some point in the future we promise see you then